Welcome to the Elevate Together podcast, voices of change in the business of law. Hello, this is Nicole Giantonio, the Chief Marketing Officer at Elevate. The podcast episode you're about to hear is part of our expert series featuring industry leaders sharing market insights. This episode highlights two leaders from Elevate's flexible legal resourcing business and Elevate director, Paula Forbes, talks with Daniel Hogan, an Elevate engagement manager leading our Asia-Pac initiatives from Australia. Paula and Daniel touch on trends they're seeing today and what's next in legal resourcing. Dan, lovely to be chatting to you again. We spoke in March in 2022 and we're now in November of that year. So we did talk then about the backwards look and the predictions for 2022. So I would love if we could take this opportunity to reflect again on the things that we projected for the year, how they panned out, if indeed they did materialize. And then we can... uh, do a forwards look at that crystal ball we were looking in um, earlier in the year for, for 2023. Sounds good. So one of the key things that came out of the COVID era was working from home. I know that's sort of been heavily talked about throughout the industry. And one thing that you potentially saw arising with um, offices reopening towards the beginning of 22 was a move more towards hybrid So that wasn't just obviously remote only. It was companies starting to look for talent to be present in the office for a selected number of days per week, whether that's two or three or, you know, however the company was looking for that to pan out. Did that materialize? How did that fare in Australia? Yeah, I think um, when we were speaking last, it was very much a lot of larger organizations were still planning their route back into the office to a certain extent. And there was sort of timetables of people coming in in the larger offices. So it was very much still up in the air. But as 2022 has progressed, I think that it's definitely um, fallen on the hybrid working model. And probably as sort of we predicted, that would be sort of three days in the office um, and two days from home seems to be the, generally speaking, the model that um, most organisations in Australia have now adopted. And obviously, there are exceptions in either direction. You know, there's some businesses that are pushing for more, more like four and one. And then there are other businesses that are a bit more um, flexible in, in the way in which they operate. But I think it by and large comes down to um, the manager that you report into having right. control over what it is that, um, how they want to see their team operate. And obviously, again, There'll be exceptions with different businesses. You know, with, I do know with um, some large real estate businesses, it's very much back in the office. But there has been um, pushback, I think, from certain managers. If you, you know, if there are certain days, certainly in legal teams, where if there are, um, everyone's up to speed now with working from home because they've they've had to be. So you can do your role from home. Um, yes, we want you potentially in on certain days, but if there are days where it's very much at your desk sort of work as opposed to anything else, I think there's more flexibility for. Um, for certain individuals. And then, you know, there seems to be sort of collaboration days, I think, mm-hmm. whereby they get the team in on certain, you know, whether it's Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday and Thursday or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. They continue to have the real estate to do that, presumably, from what you're saying, because a lot of um, organisations, UK and US, have actually downsized their physical offices. So they haven't necessarily got the space or the desk space to accommodate all of the staff coming back in. Did Australia have the same experience? Did a lot of companies take the opportunity to release the cost and size of their physical offices? There's definitely been some of that. I, I know businesses have moved into 
the flexible working spaces and you know, there's multiple of those. We work probably the most famous. So there will have been some organizations that definitely took that opportunity to downsize. But I think if you look at bigger sort of law firms, larger businesses, you know, they've been tied into longer term lease agreements already. Perhaps they can't get out of. Mm-hmm. So it's about how they utilize. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some businesses pre-COVID that would have been agile working. So their workforce physically couldn't fit into some of their bigger spaces, but they would have had, I'm thinking of a couple of big businesses that I know that have built large office blocks <laughs> in certainly in Sydney and which they own. And it was always the case they work in an agile way. So I think that perhaps it hasn't necessarily changed for those organizations. Mm. But yeah, I think on the whole, it's hybrid. And where we do see people that are unhappy with that arrangement is where it's weighted more than three days a week in, in the office and it's rigid, really rigid. Okay. And is that what talent want? They had a period of time where remote was the only way of working and did so well in, in the large part. And now that organizations are, can you say, maybe rigid two or three days, you know, what's the feedback from the people on that? I think it comes down to a couple of things, really. So scene level. So if you're relatively senior, mid to senior level and you've already gained what you need to gain from a team environment, from a learning and collaboration point of view, and you can just sort of, if you're parachuting into a business on a contract and you're there to perform a specific set of tasks, as long as you're in contact with that business, do you physically need to be in the business unless there is a face-to-face element, which we have seen from some roles mm-hmm. and organizations. But I think the more senior lawyers in the market don't necessarily see the need to be in the office, especially if and then it comes down to the commute. So if you're commuting an hour in each direction, there's no real need for you to be in the office. That is just a not an efficient way to for that person to operate when they can be doing an extra two hours work um, from home that they just spending sitting on a train or a bus or or whatever it might be. So I think it does come down to the level and also the commute, but also the nature of the role and the deliverables that they're tasked to to perform Mm. and succeed at basically. So, and then obviously the more junior, but the people that are earlier in their career, they do need to be in the office. I think some people do want to be in the office. You know, if you're a certain point in life where it's socially better and professionally better for you to be in the office more than work from home. Perhaps your setup at home isn't as great. Perhaps you didn't really enjoy working from home full time. So there is, there's people that fall on either side of that argument, I think. I hear you. And I guess with the with those that are earlier on in their, their chosen career, they do need the more experienced people in the team to grow from. So it's that sort of balance that I see that teams and hiring managers and manager people are trying to, to balance. But whilst we're on the, the subject of the location of people The borders were tightened up quite considerably through COVID, the movement in and out of Australia. We looked at how that might progress through 2022 and looking at uh, movement of people out of the country as well as in. And at the time when we spoke in March, there was a real talent shortage. How did that emerge and evolve throughout the year? I think the borders actually opened November, December 2021. And then when we spoke in March 2022, hadn't really seen the impact of that. I think as we progressed through 2022, it's still very talent short market. I don't really think that's necessarily changed now. But I think what we have seen to play out through the year is a lot of us say Australian lawyers, for example, that moved and were gone overseas prior to the borders closing, all went through a period of, of lockdown of some description, whichever country they were in and varied in terms of the length of those lockdowns. And I think there's been sort of two elements to it. So the the lawyers that went overseas haven't necessarily returned 
as soon as the borders open because they're still doing the overseas experience. They probably didn't get to enjoy as much as they would have done had they not been in lockdown. And then also the lawyers that were um, sort of locked into Australia and potentially had plans to go overseas and didn't get to see them through to fruition have now left or are leaving. So you've almost got this double whammy of people not returning, but people leaving, which I think happened and is probably still happening to a certain extent. And I don't think we've had that fully play out yet, but it's meant that I know there was certainly the, the shortage of good quality lawyers has continued through 2022. And um, obviously that led to, I know there's reports of lots of law firms that were the battle for that, the talent that remained or to bring people from outside of Australia in back into into the country or people that had never been here. There was um, sort of a battle for that ground, which increased um, in terms of, of remuneration and certainly at the law firm level, what they were looking to do to bring people over. And did that bubble burst? Dan, you know, there was that race, wasn't there, for um, for top talent and the rates that they were offering. Just where does that end? You know, and that was something we talked about earlier on in the year. They're getting to eye-watering levels in some instances. And it wasn't just Australia. You know, we saw it in the UK and the US and through some parts of EMEA as well. Does this continue to be a talent short market? We did start talk about how organisations that weren't able to match the deep pockets of a law firm, how they could differentiate themselves to attract people. And we started to see a, a reconsideration within the talent market of does big law offer what I want? With the big salaries comes, in some instances, quite a lot of stress, long hours the reduction of their life and work balance. Is big law still winning the vast, you know, the lion's share, if you like, of the talent population because of the rates that they can offer? Or have we seen it balance out? I still think that there will be, and there has been, the large law firms will will have done and paid and, and have got deep pockets and show that. I think there was a, probably a backing off from that towards the latter stages of of this year, but not everyone, you know, obviously we're, we are speaking to a range of different lawyers and um, obviously, you know, our, our target market is the flexible working model. And so we're talking to people that are already working in that manner. And so for those people, there does tend to be um, something outside of rates, but we're obviously talking to new people all the time. And there are people that are moving away from that and want the flexibility because of lifestyle or recalibration of different life stage, reconsidering what's important to them post-COVID or the latter stages of the pandemic. But then obviously they do want as good a rate as they can get as well. So I've certainly noticed a move towards a more flexible way of working, better work-life balance away from big law over the course of this year. And is there a trend forming which we started to observe as we emerged out of that real severe, as I say, COVID period, that there was more people looking to have a portfolio career and moving into the interim space out of permanent. Is that still the case in Australia, in the UK and the US? I think it's slightly reversing to the point that people, maybe not, we're not seeing a, you know, people moving out of interim into permanent in their droves, but more a consideration of perhaps with the global economy, which we're experiencing more significantly in the UK, or at least the government here are announcing perhaps an extended period of recession here in the UK, that people are reconsidering their own personal financial situation and maybe the stability of a permanent opportunity might be more aligned to you know where they need to get their 
their finances and their personal situation over the next couple of years, that there's a little bit of a risk within the interim market. So the temp to perm or the interim to perm opportunities are becoming more appealing to some people who perhaps were enjoying a portfolio career for a few years. Again, just mirror, is Australia mirroring that or are you seeing at the moment not a real change? I think there's, there is an element of truth to that in Australia, that, that just from having conversations with talent, and we've had individuals that we've had on on inter, you know contract interim roles that have gone permanent or have decided that for now and going into 2023 they would like a, either a longer term contract six twelve months or they would entertain a permanent position but it's not in their droves as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think economic situation in UK is probably slightly different to what it is here, um, but there is predicted softness, potential global recession, if you like, and that obviously has an impact on on all countries, including Australia. So there has been talk of certainly people we've been speaking to, but people are still looking at contract opportunities. And I think we saw throughout 2022, people didn't really want the shorter term two, three month contracts. It was always sort of, we want, I would like six months as opposed to anything mm-hmm. shorter. Um, I think we are seeing a bit more of that just with the uncertainty in the market. And um, yeah, there's definitely people that have um, mentioned or been speaking to us more about permanent opportunities, but not in the huge, huge robes. The prediction for 2022 was quite early on. So pre-2022 as being a real hot area for a lot of organisations. You were also seeing a spike in construction and energy, and there continues to be a real demand for talent in those particular industries. Did that continue? And what do you predict for 2023? I think construction, energy, they remained sort of buoyant, robust, if you like, um, throughout the year, probably were before that as well. And I think we'll continue to be um, just because of the sheer volume of investment in the infrastructure, construction and on energy and obviously the switch to renewables and the, the capital that's been put into that switch. And I think that will just continue. I think where we have seen the difference would be, and I think this is sort of the M&A transactions compared with the same time last year. So at the beginning of financial year 2022 versus beginning of financial year 2023, which would be um, the July, August, September quarter, there's been a just a drop in the, the number of transactions, the volume of transactions, M&A transactions happening. So obviously, I think that's translated into lesser opportunities compared with the same time in the year before. And obviously, there's sort of similar with the finance areas associated within that market. And I think there has been an, we, the, the increase in data privacy, cybersecurity investigations. That's continued just because of the, there's been some high-profile cybersecurity issues with, with major organisations in Australia, and, and we've definitely seen a, a further uptick in in those opportunities in the last three or four months. And we don't see that changing. And I think they'll is protect well, the ramping up within restructuring and, and insolvency into 2023 is probably what we'll we'll see happening as well. That's where we see sort of the opportunities from sort of this year into the new year. Fabulous. So Dan, we've talked about the race for talent and the big law, as you as you mentioned, having those deep pockets. And I wonder if you've got any insights from the Australia perspective on how organisations are attracting when they haven't got the salaries to offer. What are their attraction techniques? Is there any way that they're standing out and differentiating themselves in the market? to attract what is already a very lean talent market at the best of times. Speaking with a variety of talents, there is a direct correlation between how interested a person is in talking to you about new opportunities, depending on 
how flexible the environment is that the business you're talking to them about is. And I think money obviously is, is one thing, but if the organization that's recruiting doesn't have as deeper pockets as some of their competitors, what you tend to find is that they are offering that flexible working environment, work-life balance. They are providing a, a defined work culture, whatever that may look like for them. They are providing a robust employment proposition. I think what's also happening now with a lot of organizations is that they are offering increased parental leave for both first care and second carers. And also what I'm starting to see is some organization, this I guess is it comes from certainly on some of the permanent positions that we see being offered in the market is that the mother, they're going on mass leave for a 12-month period. What you're tending to find now is that they are paying superannuation for the whole 12-month period, which we didn't used to see previously and starting to see that a lot more. So yeah, there's a number of things that can be done. Obviously, one of those is financial, but um, obviously if you're not in the office and you're potentially getting paid full-time during your parental leave for say three or four months, but then they're providing superannuation for the entirety of the 12 months. So they're not put at a disadvantage from a um, from essentially what their pension fund is, their superannuation throughout that time period. It's fabulous to see the organizations really embracing from the employee, from the, the talent perspective. It's really fascinating to see that progress. It's not just in Australia, I think in other parts of the world as well. A lot of organizations are faring similar and are really coming up with creative solutions. You know, as I was saying at the top of this, this was to differentiate, to really think about who they are and how they want to present themselves and their brand and reputation in the marketplace is increasingly important because talent will have a choice and they will think about what really appeals to them and their personal brand and how the organization that they are working for represents them. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much again for having taken the time to have this chat. And I look forward to doing this again with you in 2023. Look forward to it. Thanks, Paula. Tune into the next episode of the Elevate Together podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and elevateservices.com. Thank you.